Hi, I'm Jim Corcus, Disney historian, and I'm listening to Stories of the Magic. You should always listen to Stories of the Magic because this will enhance your Disney experience and make you a much happier person rather than a grumpy. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 124 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place and I am glad you're here. Today we have a special treat because we have our first international cast member on the show. Lee Neville was in the international program at Walt Disney World, which brings a unique perspective on Disney, working there, living there, and beyond. It's also a rather subdued-sounding interview, because it was about 1 o'clock in the morning for me when we did the recording. When you're in an apartment with a sleeping wife and a sleeping toddler just steps away, you be as quiet as you have to. Now, in this episode, Lee talks about becoming part of the international program and what that is receiving his name tag, what he did working as an international program cast member, choosing the child who would start illuminations some nights, what it was like for him living here, including meeting his best friend and his first American girlfriend, when he most often got to interact with guests, including a surprising part of his job as a busser, something special he got to do for a guest who was a huge fan of Eeyore, what he wanted to get out of the program and whether it lived up to those hopes what the last days of his international program were like, some of the special experiences he had during his program, including cast member nights at Pleasure Island, being part of the promotional videos for Mission Space and Mickey's PhilharMagic, and meeting past Stories of the Magic guest Rachel Schur while doing that, singing in Candlelight Processional, Disney University and another past Stories of the Magic guest Jim Corcus, and being awarded Exceptional Guest Service Awards. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant Golf Clap out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your Anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by Jewelbeat.com 
And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. I like to think the reach of Stories of the Magic is pretty extensive, and today we get to validate that by going international. Lee Neville is from London, England, and is a former Walt Disney World International Program cast member and Disneyland Paris character performer. Lee has some pretty great experiences, including applying to work at Walt Disney World while attending the Millennium Celebration in 2000, being in the international program, of course, being an extra in promo videos for Mission Space and Mickey's PhilharMagic, attending Disney University, gaining access to rare Pocahontas footage, and briefly being mentored by Jim Cork as previous multiple-time Stories of the Magic guest, being featured in the Main Street Diary for exceptional guest service, and being commended by Lee Cockerell, taking part in Give Kids the World, and much more. We've obviously got a lot to talk about, and it's very late at night. Well, late at night for me, and early in the morning for him, since we're eight hours apart. So let's not delay any longer. Lee, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Hi, how are you doing? Doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thank you very much. Good. Well, thank you for agreeing to be on the show and for coordinating with me across multiple time zones to make this happen. No problem. So we're just going to jump in here because you've got quite an extensive and interesting history here. So tell me about becoming part of the international program, you know, applying, getting accepted, traditions, whatever it is you want to share. Well, my first trip to Walt Disney World was in 2000, and I got to experience the Millennium Celebration there going on. I particularly loved the Tapestry of Nations Parade at Epcot. I loved uh, Illuminations. I remember there was a American country dance club at Pleasure Island. I remember loving the song Celebrate the Future Hand in Hand, which was the theme song in 2000. And I just had always wanted to go to Walt Disney World, and this was um, a really big deal for me. And I wanted to find out how I could get a job there. And so I was there on, on, on holiday and or vacation and I found out where the casting office was and I went over to the casting office and they kind of gave me a little bit of information about how I could apply because there are various job agencies that handle international applicants. And so I got the necessary information and started about applying. And I wasn't successful originally, but finally in 2003, um, I was successful. And it was in June 2003 that I started the international program. As to how I got there, the actual um, UK agency, and I, I think they deal with part of Europe as well, they're called Yummy Jobs, as in Y-U-M-M-Y Jobs. Um, <laughs> And they do a number of opportunities. So they do a cultural exchange program in which you're on a J-1 visa, um, and this is for the summer only. They do an academic exchange program for 6 to 12 months, um, and they have a select list of UK universities. It's, it's not actually that many. And then there's the program that I did, which is the cultural representative program, which is one year. Now, by comparison with, say, the cultural exchange program, which is the summer, with cultural exchange, you could work anywhere at Walt Disney World. You could be working at the studios. You could be working um, in Animal Kingdom. It, it didn't really matter. But for the cultural representative program, you are a cultural representative of the UK. And so it was a Q1 visa, and you were restricted to working at the United Kingdom Epcot. And so I'd already gone through the interview process that um, managers from that area had, had, had come over from the U.S. to the U.K. to do the interview process. And that's how I ultimately got onto the program. And it was, you know, it was quite a long waiting process. On the international program, you could either work in food and beverage, which at the time was a fish and chip shop or the Rose and Crown restaurant, or it could be in merchandise, which would be the UK stores um, around there. So so that's basically how I got there. Okay. You said it was a pretty long process. About how long was it between when you first applied and when you actually, let's say from there to when you got accepted into the program? 
I guess, I mean, from my perspective, because I wasn't successful the first time, so it was about three years. I mean, I, I came after p being there in 2000 thinking I really want to go as soon as possible. And then um, it took three years. But I, I would say from from the second go round when I applied a second time, I'd say about about a year of kind of um, waiting. I, I think there was a step-by-step -step process. Um, the interviews took place. Um, the Disney UK headquarters were in um, Hammersmith in London, and that's where the interviews took place there. Okay, well, a year is still a pretty long time, i got to say. Now, once you actually got accepted and you, you got there and were getting ready to start the program, I know all the other cast members I've talked to have uh, gone through traditions as the very first thing that they did. I assume that... Traditions was something that you did as well and probably really early on. Would that have been something you did once you got out here and got to Walt Disney World, or did they kind of do a preliminary one before you came over? This happened at Epcot. The traditions, it was um, a mixture of college program and international program um, participants, and it was basically a tour of Epcot. Um, I actually met my first um, American girlfriend during traditions, which was interesting. I was particularly eager, having always been a fan of America and wanting to get to know Americans. I'm sure I'll get onto a few stories about that. But it was like the first opportunity to start engaging with Americans. And so there are certain things that were targeted for international program um, participants and some for college program participants and certain aspects you kind of crossed over. And yeah, yeah, traditions was um, lots of fun. I think um, I can't remember exactly what happened, but something happened by the the fountain um, Epcot. And I'm going to tell you something that isn't in regards to traditions, but it's something that I always remember is I've always been a fan of the um, Disney animated film um, The Rescuers Down Under, and they have various pieces of music playing at the fountains. And whenever the Rescuers Down down Under music came along, I would literally stop wherever I am. I could be on my way to work at Walt Disney World. I could just be passing by as a guest. But whoever I was with, I'd say, you know what, we have to stop right now. And then we stop, watch the fountains go to the Rescuers Down Under music, and then we can move on. Fair enough. <laughs> That's actually one of my wife's favorite movies, too. So I think she just might do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As part of traditions, I know that's where you get your name tag. So do you remember actually receiving your name tag? I do. I think I had the wrong name. They eventually found me one um, a little bit afterwards, but I do not remember what name it was, but I had a fake name originally. And it depends on the guest. I, I kind of either went with it with some and others. I thought, okay, no, my real name's Lee. And I told them um, it just kind of, sometimes you kind of end up, you want to explain it to, 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 to guests, but they're really not going to care. <laughs> they're, right. busy, they're busy having their magical day. Much of the time, I did just kind of go with the name. But eventually, I got, I got, I got my, my, my correct name. Um, and uh, I, um, I don't have it anymore, but I kept the badge for a really long time after my um, experience at Walt Disney World. I can imagine that was a small thing physically that you could take, but I'm sure so many memories attached to it. Yeah, yeah, there are lots of things that um, I had from Disney that that were kind of similar to that. There were, I mean, as a guest, I, I wanted to do the whole, um, there was a thing outside at the front of Epcot where you could do, I think it's called this legacy thing, where you could put like um, a photo of you on these um, like pillars, um, if I recall. Um, and I remember wanting to do that. There are various things that I, I got from, from my job for doing a great job, but um, I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, let's go ahead and get into working as an international program cast member. You're the first one that I've had on the show. So tell me about it. You know, kind of What did you do and what was it like living here? That's kind of two pretty big questions. So maybe we'll start with what did you do as your role? Okay, well, as a cultural representative at the UK Epcot, you're, you're sharing the British um, culture, specifically British, um, because it's the UK, it's not England. Obviously, I, I, I was born in London, England, so that was where I was coming from. But as a cultural representative, you're representing various aspects of the UK. And so on a day-to-day -day basis, I would be working in the fish and chip shop that was there, 
or I could be working in the Rose and Crown restaurant. You kind of started out as someone who would like bust some tables, then you'd kind of step up to maybe someone who greeted guests as they came into the restaurant, and then you might end up becoming a server, which is what everyone wanted wanted to be because because of tips. Because what was interesting is that typically tipping is more of a culture in America than it is in the UK. And so it was interesting that we as British cast members, whenever we had guests, we would probably prefer the American guests over the British guests because the British guests typically would not tip as much as the American ones because it's not a standard thing that they would they would do as, as highly. So that was kind of an, an interesting angle of it. And yeah, that that was um, my day-to-day job from you would do, say, an afternoon shift or you do a late evening shift. What is interesting about the location of DeVos and Crown is that was like a really great place to view illuminations from. And so a great thing that happened at the time when I was um, at the UK Epcot is that guests would come come along and one child guest would be chosen and they would be given a um, magic wand. And it was this magic wand that actually begun the Illumination show. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, they'd literally just, literally just hold it up and then just magic would come on out and um, the show would begin that way. And it was just, it was really kind of magical for me to see because of all the children that got to do it and and the ones that I might get to choose to actually do that moment. So yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. So how did you decide who you were going to choose when you got to do that? It was down to a number of factors. So it, it could have been as far as like who decide like which server because I'm not the I was not the only server at the restaurant. So some were kind of busy, you know, getting tips. Whereas me, I actually was really active in doing that because I just wanted to do it. So anyone who like generally ones who I was currently serving. And so you kind of see the the children on the various tables that you're 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 serving and you and you're kind of thinking who who kind of get the most out of this kind of magical experience and believe in this magical experience. And then, yeah, it was just kind of free reign up to me. I, I did not need to get approval from management or anything. I just chose who I felt would um, appreciate the um, magical experience. Okay. That makes sense. That's a really good way to do it. And I can imagine, you know, the kids, just the ones that you chose would have just been over the moon about it. And this is not something I'd heard about that was done there. So that's it's great new information that I didn't have before. Since you worked there in the restaurant, and one of the things people ask me pretty frequently is, you know, they want to know how authentic the experience is in World Showcase compared to the actual countries. And of course, when they say that 90% of the time, what they mean is the food. So based on your experience, you know, at the time and you know, any visits you had as well, how close is, say, the Rose and Crown to what you would actually get at a British pub? I would say, first and foremost, I'd say the atmosphere is fairly authentic. The food itself at the Rose and Crown, it, it, it has changed since um, since I was there. And I remember when I was there, they had something on the menu called Prime Rib. And I'd never, ever seen that in the UK. And I happen to not drink but I'm told that the temperature of the alcoholic drinks is maybe kind of different there than it was in the UK. I'm I'm not really, really really sure about that. The fish and chips was quite um, authentic. The the brand at the time, it was was Harry Ramston's fish and chips when I was at Walt Disney World, and they are still um, a brand in the UK today. So that was all all, all very authentic. But I was just actually um, looking at my notes, and you were asking about... um, what it was like to live as a cultural representative. Um, do you want me to go into that? Yeah, please. Let's go ahead and go to that now. From 2003 to 2004, there are three main housing locations. There was the Commons, which was generally for internationals. There was Vista Way, which was for college program students. And there was Chatham Square, which was a mixture of both. I believe there's actually um, a new one now. I think it's called Parsons or something. I've got that somewhere in my notes. But 
basically, we had a bus service which was run by by an outside company, but the network was pretty much as vast as the Disney buses that you see going around um, Walt Disney World. Uh, we could get to to anywhere we wanted from whether it be the hotels, the parks, the water parks, or anything like that. So, like one typical bus trip, it it might say go from Vista Way, and then it would go and stop over at the Commons. And then it would go to, say, Walgreens so we could get some shopping. And then it would go to, say, downtown Disney. And the bus routes were kind of designed, the kind of based on where most most um, cast members were working. So those that worked at Epcot were mainly international program participants over college program participants. So if, I think, for example, if you're at Vista Way, you have to stop off at the Commons first and things like that. Whereas, say, for me, if I wanted to, say, go explore um, the, the studios, I would have to go to Vista Way first and then maybe get another bus to the studios. And, oh, yeah, I've, ah, I've got the name of that new housing. Apparently, it's called Patterson Court, which was not around from 2003 to 2004, but apparently that's a, a another um, location that college and international programs live in. Hmm, okay. The actual housing complex, it was, it was, it's basically like a whole street. Big apartments that you share with someone. I would, I would have a roommate. There'd be two or three rooms per apartment. There were kind of um, traditional things that happened. Like for, there was almost like an initiation if you were in an international program at the um, the commons. You, for example. You would supposedly, on your first night there, you would gather for this almost, basically, all the cast members that already lived there, they would get you gathered in this kind of area in front of a particular housing complex. And then you'd end up having water thrown over you. And that was kind of (laughs) your, your initiation and welcome to the commons on your first night there. And that always happened there at the time. So, yeah, the commons with the internationals, yeah, so the um, it was all the countries from the um, from the World Showcase all lived there. I ended up meeting people from countries I'd never thought I'd be friends with from, say, Norway, which I knew nothing about before I went to America. And I made quite a few German friends and French friends. But I also spent a lot of time... Um, at Vista Way, because I really wanted to get to know Americans. And that's where mainly the um, the college program were. Okay, and you mentioned real early on that you had some interesting stories about that and about meeting your first American girlfriend, you know, right there at the beginning of your program. So talk about some about some of the people that you met or some of the stories that you have of meeting people during this program. I met my best friend on the international program. Um the good thing about the um, cast member buses is that you feel more comfortable at speaking to new people. I don't know if that was an American thing or if that's a Disney cast member thing. But here here in London, you know, people kind of keep themselves themselves on the bus and they don't necessarily come across as friendly and open. It's, it's kind of not the norm, I would say, to kind of start conversations with people. Everyone keeps, stays in very serious. But it felt very different on the Disney cast member buses. And there was also the aspect that I was eager to know Americans. So I felt very confident in meeting people on the Disney cast member bus. And for them, it created an element of safety because it's, it was different to meeting a complete stranger on a Disney cast member bus compared to a regular bus because, you know, you'll work in the same area. And you might have similar interests in regards to Disney. And so, yeah, I met my best friend on um, a Disney cast member bus. And that led to multiple Disney hotel trips. That became our thing. I particularly love going to Coronado Springs because I love the hammocks there. It's not the only hotel to have um, hammocks outside, but the way everything is situated there, it feels kind of romantic, kind of magical way. That's kind of the good thing about working for for Disney is that generally there's a a, a really kind of 
it's a positive and um, safe environment to be working in. And so it's a great place to get to know new people. That was with my, my first American girlfriend there. Um, as I said, I met her on, on, on traditions. We went out for the first time just a few days later. I, we went to, um, we saw Terminator 3 at uh, the AMC movie theater at what was downtown Disney. And yeah, I, I wouldn't have met had it not been for, um, you know, working for Disney. Yeah. Between meeting your first American girlfriend and meeting your best friend on that program, even if you got nothing else out of it, that sounds like a pretty good deal there. Yeah, definitely. So when you would have your sort of day-to-day uh, responsibilities there, sounds like you worked as a busser and as a greeter and as a server. Would guests tend to talk to you in one of those roles versus another? I mean, obviously, as a server, they had to, to communicate their order and things like that. But as far as just striking up conversation or you know, kind of chatting about each other's countries and things like that, was there one of those positions where they tended to be more talkative? I think this comes down to whether or not I had the opportunity to be more talkative because certain roles you have more responsibility. And so sometimes you may have less time. So when, for example, I was a busser cleaning the tables, I would sometimes, as part of that, also be outside the front of the restaurant playing hopscotch with children. And so I got to design all these fun and crazy versions of hopscotch um, on the ground. And that was an aspect that I really liked to do. But as a server, there's no way I would have um, had time to do that. When I was in that kind of role, then there was more potential for more engagement about about Disney, really, and basically having fun and being childlike. When you're a server, you know, you, in regard the Disney becomes a little bit more of a mature conversation in regards to you're not really, like, playing around with the kids. You're just saying, okay, I can recommend a place where you can play around. So I can say, okay, I recommend this area of Epcot to you. This, this um, I, I really like this area. I, I happen to, um, I loved Ellen's um, Energy Adventure, and I loved um, Cranium Command. And so I would recommend that people go check those out. So I would say that would be, it depends on your, your role as, as a cast member as to, as to the opportunity you have to get to respond to, to guests. There are occasionally magical opportunities like me, because I'm very pro the whole Disney magic thing, I did something one time that I think most servers probably wouldn't do just because they wouldn't have time. But even as swamped as I was the day that it happened, and I got a little bit behind, but I, I, I still wanted to do this thing. And basically it was this um, this disabled guest. They mentioned they were a Winnie the Pooh fan and they really loved um, the character Eeyore. And because it's um, the United Kingdom Epcot and the Winnie Pooh, the Pooh characters originated in England, the Winnie the Pooh characters would, would hang out at the UK Epcot on occasion. So I was busy serving, serving this customer and they, they, they mentioned it. It was their one, um, I, I don't know, it was their last day or, or it was some kind of special day for them, Epcot that day. And I, I literally rushed backstage and I asked the other Wings of the Pooh characters where Eeyore was. And we eventually found Eeyore and we brought Eeyore on stage because normally the, the Disney characters only come out at set times. And so I managed to negotiate and Eeyore was very willing and managed to get him to come out and greet the guest. Um, and this created a really positive, happy experience for them. Oh, that's great. That's a really cool thing that you did. Thank you. You told me early on that you had certain expectations or things that you really wanted to get out of the program as far as being part of the Disney magic and getting to meet people, especially from America, but from various countries and things. Did it live up to your expectations? I generally don't have expectations. I just have really, really, really high hopes, and I just had a really um, amazing year. And I got to do so many things, um, which we're going to be talking about in a bit, that 
it was not like that was in my set plan. It was not like I'm expecting to do this, I'm expecting to do that. I, I, I was just hoping that I would have the opportunity to meet loads of Americans, have an amazing time at Disney, and that's exactly what happened. Great. That's probably a really good approach. and I'm glad that it lived up to that and that what you were hoping for happened. I often get to talk to people about when they start working for Disney, but especially in this case, uh, I think you might have a, a different perspective than usual on what was your last day or even your last couple of days as your program was wrapping up? What was that like for you? Hmm. It was getting to say goodbye to some people, but not everyone because some people were working. But what they do is they give you a little bit extra time on your visa. So I had about um, a month afterwards on my visa to, to, to do what I wanted. I could either simply go back to the UK or not. And so I actually ended up afterwards going on to Nebraska to spend time with one American friend that I made that year. Um, and then I went on to Los Angeles to spend some time there um, because of my interest in LA as an actor. But on the, the final day, it, it was, I basically, I'd done a whole load of shopping that year. And <laughs> I, I, I posted quite a bit. I'd literally spent I think I spent over a thousand dollars in postage um, that, throughout the year, and um, I sent a lot of it to the UK. And so I, I couldn't send all of it though. And there were certain things like I had this um, Mickey Mouse TV and DVD set, and I gave them. Um, why well, I called it like an extended loan to to my best friend because I wanted to let her know that I was coming back. And so that was kind of bit of kind of sweet. So I was saying. You know, I'm, I'm basically going to really miss you, and I'm giving you this. But yeah, I'm going to be coming back for it. I mean, then I it was it was um, saying almost saying bye to my girlfriend, another girlfriend I had at the end at the time, and that was kind of hard because we we gotten together fairly towards the end of my time, and so we knew that I would be leaving, and so it was about making the most of the time that we had together. And so we were expecting that the day I left would probably be our last day together. But when it came to it, we both kind of couldn't go through with it. And so we, although it, it, it didn't work out because of the long distance in the end, a few, um, a few months later, in that moment on that day, it was kind of almost heartening to think that we were going to say goodbye. And then we both thought, oh, can, can we actually let this continue? And so, yeah, it was just, it was definitely a really kind of emotional day. I, I felt like I was lingering at everything I was doing as I was leaving. Yeah, I can imagine knowing that you had to, but in some ways not wanting so many parts of it to end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. In between when you started the program and when you ended the program, you had several special experiences, uh, several of which I referenced in the introduction, but I'm sure not all of them. So let's talk about some of the special experiences you had. Uh, and if you'd like, I'll let you pick wherever you want to start on those and we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I would say um, the very special experience I had at Pleasure Island, basically cast member nights where we got in for free was basically Monday and Thursday, but it was almost an unwritten expectation that mostly internationals would go on Mondays and mainly college would go on Thursdays. So I kind of leaned towards the Thursdays because, as I said, I wanted to know Americans. I really loved there was a comedy warehouse there. That was that was great. That, that was my favorite location to go at what was Pleasure Island. Um, there also used to be um, at the very bottom of Pleasure Island in 2000, there was a country music kind of dance club. and But it wasn't there in, in, in 2003. And it was just a popular music club. So that was a bit of a shame because for me, the popular music club was just like any regular club. From my perspective, the whole American country club is really unique um, and kind of special. And so I thought it was a shame that they chose to kind of go for a generic kind of club at the bottom, which kind of links me into... I've just heard recently that one of my favorite things that was at Downtown Disney, um, Disney Quest apparently is going to be closing. I'm kind of disappointed in that. I mean, I loved the Aladdin's Genie in, in the elevator as he went, went up. I thought that was great. And the, the, the parts of the Caribbean game and, and, um, 
uh, firing the bell as, uh, and things like that, and the um, designing your own roller coaster, loved all that. So yeah, there's quite a few good Pleasure Island um, experiences, and um, I hope to one day experience it as Disney Springs um, when I return to Walt Disney World. There are also other things I got to do, such as being an extra in promotional videos for Disney. I got to be in a promotional video for Mission Space and for Mickey's Magic. The Mission Space was, was just fun and exciting because it was the new thing. And I'd written it a whole bunch of times when making the promo material, and then it was afterwards when it actually became open that people started saying, oh, it really makes you feel kind of ill when you go on it. And I'd, I'd, I'd gone on it so many times, I was kind of immune to it. And I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> but yeah, and so that that was great. What was also, which kind of links into the Candlelight Processional, which um, I sung in, is Gary, Gary Sinise was in Mission Space, and he was one of the narrators at the Candlelight Processional um, in 2003. And so... For me, it was great being going from seeing him on the screen in, in, in Mission Space to singing right behind him in the Candlelight Processional. Um, so I found that quite an interesting experience. And yeah, Mickey's Philhar Magic was absolutely my favorite thing at the Magic Kingdom. But yeah. And it was when you were doing the being an extra in the promo videos uh, that that's where you met Rachel Schur, former Stories of the Magic guest, right? Yes, it was exactly that. Yeah, we met when doing Mission Space. And from what I remember from, from, from Rachel is that she's very quite ambitious and very confident. And even though I come from an acting background, um, I'm confident, but I kind of switch it on and off um, in, in, in certain, certain um, situations. But she, she kind of had it like completely on and I, I've kind of tracked her um, entertainment career since. And it, it's good to see her basically blossom in her life and kind of do so many great things. And she was definitely the kind of person that I, I, I find really inspiring. Good. Well, I'm glad I got to talk to her a while ago and then have somebody now that has a connection to her. Yeah, she she was definitely great to talk to. So. You know, it is great to watch and kind of follow her career. So what else did you get to do there? I know I mentioned uh, attending Disney University, and I don't think we've had a chance to talk about that much here on the show either, aside from when I talked to Jim Corcus a couple of times. Yeah, so I did a whole bunch of classes at the Disney University, which was right by um, downtown Disney at the time. Um, and basically what you – the kind of classes that you would do – were broken into intersections. So there were personal and professional development classes. They could be things like they would be looking, um, because I have a whole list of every single course that I did. And I've got here, I, uh, there was creativity and teamwork through improvisation. So it's about how do you improvise when, say, working at the UK Epcot. Um, it also, there were also lessons about performance theming and, and why various areas of Walt Disney World have a certain look and um, how you're kind of, as a cast member, you are kind of part of the theme itself. It's not just the design of the location that you're in. You're, you're part of that. And then there'd be typical training, like how to be, be a cashier, a greeter, whether it be table service, quick service, etc. Then you get regulatory training where you learn things like food safety, disability awareness, things like that, and um, how to be responsible when, you know, selling alcohol. Because um, what was interesting is that on the international program, there were some people there that were 18. Um, and in the UK, you can drink when you're 18. Um, but in Florida, you have to be 21. Mm -hmm. um, and so some people were kind of getting a little bit of trouble because of things like that. But yeah, so we had quite a bit of training about being responsible in regards to that and how, and the consequences were very severe in regards to, to, to that. If, if you were to sell drink to someone who was underage, 
not only would you lose your job, but as an international program participant, you'd be straight back to your home country straight away. And our training was the, the ones that I really wanted to do, and I just was it was completely my choice. I didn't have to attend them. Uh, were the Disney culture ones? I attended um, one about Pirates of the Caribbean, the ride. I did one about um, the relationship between Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. There was one about Disney villains. There are a couple of them by by Jim Caucus. The one I have particular note of here was Secrets of Roger Rabbit um, by Jim Jim Caucus. And what's interesting is that he showed us some original um, pencil test footage from Pocahontas. It was the song If I Never Knew You from directly within the film. So this was back in early 2004 at this point. And so it was um, a couple of years later that it was eventually all kind of fully animated for like the 10th anniversary DVD of Pocahontas. But I actually got to see this like several years before. Um, but yeah, I think you can actually find it on the, the, the test footage that Jim Cork has let me have. You can actually find it on um, YouTube now. If you put in the search um, Pocahontas, If I Never Knew You, Rough Edit. I, I found um, the other day there was, it was uploaded in 2007. But yeah, you can, you can find that. But at the time, that was a great thing for me to get a hold of. Um, and I, I just really loved that song. Also, Jim Caucus mentioned that he had experience within entertainment in L.A. And so as an actor, I had an interest in that. I had an interest in that. And so um, I had a one-off session with him where he talked about um, how you make it as an actor in L.A., various things like that. And he wasn't able to help with advice about, say, the whole U.S. visa thing and, be, and being an actor that way. But he gave me general advice that I've managed to use in my career as an actor in general and whether it be my mindset about applying for acting jobs or being in auditions things like that but what I've found is that Jim Caucus in person is exactly like he's been in your um, podcast interviews so full of energy super enthusiastic and I get the feeling that I guess it depends on your perspective, but some might find his his enthusiasm a bit much, but I, I think it's a really amazing quality. And I think the world can do with more Jim Caucuses around. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you on that, absolutely. Were there any pieces of advice that you got from him, like you know, one or two things that really stand out as just really great nuggets that you've been able to take with you. You said that there's a lot of things that he said and that you learned from him that helped you, but is there one or two that stand out as being particularly memorable or helpful for you? I guess one of the things, you know, is as an actor, there's so much competition. So you have to really want it. And he was someone that kind of pushed that idea of, you know, you have to really go for the thing that you want. And obviously, obviously that's not... You know, that's not a completely original message. But with Jim Corker saying it and his kind of energy, it kind of stays with you. Sure. Yeah. I could see how it would do that. Okay, cool. Now, you've interacted with several past guests during your time there. We've already mentioned Rachel Schur and Jim Corcus, But then you also told me about uh, being commended by Lee Cockerell and being featured in the Main Street Diary for Exceptional Guest Service. So I assume those two events were related. What did you do and what was that commendation from Lee Cockerell like? Okay, well, um, let me first say, and Lee Cockerell doesn't know me. We've never, never met. It's not like he directly met me as a, as a, as a cast member. Okay, sure. But I'm still influenced by him. I mean, even now I, I listen to his um, Creating Disney Magic podcast that he's got going on. But basically the Main Street Diary was, it was, it was a weekly newsletter where he highlighted the positive work of Disney cast members around Walt Disney World. The interesting thing is that I, I think he commended me um, a few times and, but the message, it would be something like, um, well done Lee from Lee. Um, <laughs> because we, we, yeah, we had the same first name. So, but I guess highlights of exceptional guest service would have been 
maybe where I, I found a camera for a guest. Um, I think the um, arranging a, a meeting with um, Eeyore uh, may have been one of them. But yeah, it was just generally things that, that go the extra mile. As, as he kind of talks about a lot in his podcast about, um, you know, positive leadership and things like that. It's basically about going the extra mile in everything that you do. And so that's something he was drawn to within what I did, because that's exactly what I did during my time. Okay. I expect you're probably right about that. I listen to his podcast as well, and he does talk about those kinds of things and emphasize the importance of that practically every show. So uh, if you were commended for you know, some kind of exceptional guest service, it was, I'm sure, along those lines. And I, I think I can safely say, even though I wasn't there, that the arranging to meet Eeyore thing that you did for that guest was almost certainly one of those things that would have done that. That was definitely exceptional, uh, something that you did. And you also mentioned briefly, kind of in passing, back when you were talking about one of the earlier experiences, about being part of the candlelight uh, processional. And uh, you told me beforehand that you were the only British singer to perform in the candlelight processional. Uh, and then related to that is performing in the Epcot Christmas tree lighting ceremony, both kind of, you know, Christmas related events. So can you tell me a little bit about those two things? Both of these things, it was me investigating being into these things. Because as I mentioned in regards to the housing complex, like the Commons, Vista Way, there was like a Disney cast member information portal i think it was called enterprise and certain things were targeted for internationals and certain things were targeted at um, americans i basically would look, look at everything and so the epcot christmas tree lighting ceremony i think that one That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Lee Neville for being my guest, and to you for listening. Next time, we're back with Lee for the rest of our conversation. Remember to contact me for more information or to get a quote for the podcast cruise on the Disney Wonder, September 17th to the 22nd of 2017. I want you to join us. If you missed the details when I first announced it, Richard and Sarah Woloski from Skywalking Through Neverland and I talked all about it in episode 119 of this podcast. As before, I'll link to that episode in the show notes here so you can get right to it. Or you can just email me at cruise at storiesofthemagic.com and I'll fill you in personally. Our group is filling up. We only have a few spots left, so space is limited, and we're coming up on final payment time in about three months. And so if you want to get in on it, now is the time. So if you think you even might be interested, contact me today. Now, I promise to start including some brief tidbits and tips into each episode, something to increase your enjoyment of something about Disney, usually the parks, but not always. Last time, we introduced this segment with a Disneyland tidbit. So this time, let's do a tip. Now, when most people think of Disneyland, they think of rides or food, for that matter, so my tip for you is to not ignore the shows. One in particular, Storytelling at the Royal Theater and Fantasy Fair, located to the left of Sleeping Beauty Castle when you're looking at the castle from Main Street. Mr. Smythe and Mr. Jones retell the stories of Beauty and the Beast and Tangled. The first three shows of the day are on one story, and the second are on the other one. It's about a 20 to 25 minute show, and on the busiest days, it can fill up kind of fast, so plan to arrive at least 20 minutes before the posted showtime. Maybe 30 to play it safe. With the help of their pianist, Sir Samuel, and the featured princess, the two performers reenact the stories in what I would call a Renaissance Fair vaudeville type of show. Every show is exceptionally funny, and the talents of these actors is really incredible. It's a fun way to spend some time, kids love it, and you can even get a snack from Maurice's Treats right next to the theater to eat while you're waiting. I think it's absolutely worth your time. I've put a link in the show notes to a video of one of these shows, but if you don't want to be spoiled, just take my word for it. Now, if you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. 
I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney, like Lee, for example. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, maybe you've had an encounter with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or you've had any special Disney experience that you want to share, anything about something that made Disney mean what it does to you, or something that reinforces why it means so much to you, I want to hear from you. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY. That's S-T-O-R-Y. And tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, Stitcher Smart Radio, or through Google Play Music. If you like the show, please rate and review it in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. It really does help. Like, you probably can't even imagine, unless you're also a podcaster, how much it helps to get positive reviews. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too, like some of the things that Lee and I talked about. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening or pin it on Pinterest. Basically, tell your friends about the show. Whether you leave a review or not, telling your friends about the show and maybe linking to a favorite episode or sharing the link to the one you're listening to at the moment can really make a big difference. It's one of the most valuable things you can do and one of the things that means the most to me. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.